Hey, thanks for tuning into our podcast today. My name is Derek Puckett. I'm the lead pastor at Renewal Church of Chicago. If you want to know more information about us, you can head to our website at RenewalChicago.com. I pray today that this message is a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. All right, when you've got Mark chapter 11, do me a favor just for the sake of participation and shout, I got it. I'm reading uh, from the New International Version, and I might refer back to the English Standard uh, if, uh, if it makes a more clear point. But here uh, is what Mark chapter 11 says. As they approached Jerusalem and came to uh, Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Tell them, uh, the Lord needs it and will send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, what are you doing untying that colt? They They asked, What are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went to the temple. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. The very words of Scripture. Amen. The movie Coming to America is a comedy classic starring Eddie Murphy and Arsenio Hall. And if you're like me, uh, this 1988 film was very much woven into the fabric of, of your childhood. And uh, and people got excited with tiptoe anticipation and bated breath uh, because they, they, they knew that coming to America made the late 1980s, the late 1980s, and, and yet 30 plus years later, they're saying that they're going to come out with a sequel. Uh, and so people were excited, if, if you're like me, and uh, and and you just got pumped up as uh, as we're getting ready to see the sequel to coming uh, coming to America. And, and don't worry, I, I'm not going to give it uh, away. But but if you haven't seen it, you are missing a major part of life. Eddie Murphy plays Prince Akeem, and Arsenio Hall plays his friend and his servant Simi. And with his regal voice, James Earl Jones plays King Jaffe Jaffer, the king of a flourishing African nation called Zamunda. Uh, and if you watch the movie, anytime the king goes anywhere, right, he is accompanied with a, a, a group of, a, a, of accoutrements and a, a, a group of fanfare that goes along with his travel. Uh, there is thrilling music that begins to play in the background, a motorcade uh, with uh, the flags of Zamunda waving in, uh, in, off the top of the limousines. And finally, when King uh, Jaffe Jaffer would get out of his vehicle 
and began to walk before he spoke to anybody, uh, there would be uh, flower women who would throw rose petals onto the ground uh, to wherever he walked. And before he speaks to anybody, there would be an ambassador who would announce his arrival. You see, whenever the king of Zamunda went anywhere, it was accompanied with the accoutrements of the most important person in the entire world. As we get ready to come to our passage today, our our text is what historians call the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. And and much like the king of Zamunda, there is much fanfare at the beginning of his arrival. There there is much uh, exuberance and uh, and celebration at his arrival, and yet what you see as the story unfolds is once he gets into Jerusalem, the exuberance and the celebration begins, it begins to fade. Things seem to fall silent when he arrives into Jerusalem. If there were a big idea to our time together in this sermon this morning, it would be this. Jesus' arrival is the most anticipated and most significant arrival in all of human history. Jesus' arrival is the most anticipated and the most significant arrival in all of human history. For our time together, I want to give you a table of contents so you know where we're going this morning. The first thing I want to look at is... Uh, donkeys tell us more than we know. The second thing I, I want to look at is praise is coming one way or the other. And the third I, I want to look at is no coming home party. Donkeys tell us more than we know. Praise is coming one way or the other and no homecoming party. I want to preach from the subject coming to Jerusalem. Coming to Jerusalem. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and your kindness towards us. We thank you for the opportunity uh, to hear from heaven this morning through your word in the gospel of Mark. As we anticipate Easter next week, God, would you prepare our hearts to celebrate the truth of the coming King of Jesus Christ, uh, our King who meets the deepest longings of our hearts. He is the most important arrival in the history of the world. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. So allow me to set the context from which Jesus begins to enter into Jerusalem. He has completed his Galilean ministry. As a matter of fact, he has just uh, raised a man by the name of Lazarus from the dead. There are people who are accompanying him from Bethany into Jerusalem, and they are celebrating. They have seen him do incredible things, and now uh, people with exuberance uh, and, uh, and ecstatic celebration begin to shout on his behalf as he's getting ready to enter into the city. And historically speaking, the Jewish people anticipated that the Messiah or the Christ would enter into Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives. And it's from here, as Jesus is overlooking the city, that he tells his disciples to go uh, to the city and get him something to ride into the city on. He says in Mark chapter 11 and verse 2, 
Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it and will send it back here immediately. So oftentimes when people look at Jesus going uh, into Jerusalem on a donkey, they focus on or highlight the humility uh, of Jesus entering into Jerusalem on a donkey. And there is no doubt that Jesus' entry into Jerusalem on, on a donkey is a sign of humility, but it's important to know that the symbolism and the image of a donkey is shared with other people and other kings in other parts of Scripture. As a matter of fact, in Genesis 22, there's a guy by the name of Abraham who the Bible tells us is tested by God. His wife wasn't able to have a son for a number of years, but God had promised him this son that was going uh, to be born to him through whom the entire world would be blessed. Uh, And so he's waiting and he's waiting and he's waiting. And finally, his wife, Sarah, has a child and they name that child Isaac. Uh, And so Isaac is the apple of his father's eye. He is his beloved son, Isaac. This was the child of promise. And now scripture says that God tests him and says, "Uh, Abraham, I want you to take your son to Mount Moriah and I want you to sacrifice him. His his beloved son, his uh, only son, he wants him to sacrifice him. Uh, And so what you get to see is scripture tells us is that the Bible says that Abraham saddled his donkey with his son Isaac. Probably the most important uh, part of his life is his son Isaac. He saddles his donkey and he goes over to Mount Moriah to sacrifice his son. And what we get to see as you read the storyline of the paragraphs and see the story resolve is that God in the midst of this situation where he is testing Abraham and calling him to sacrifice his beloved son Isaac is that God provides a a substitutionary sacrifice. And we might ask ourselves the question, man, what what, what in the world was God doing in that moment? And and yet, when you look at the story of Abraham and Isaac through the lens of the foreshadowing of Scripture and hear the echo of another father who has another beloved son who is going to the Mount of Sacrifice. You see, Jesus is the beloved son of God the son upon whom God's favor rests. And he is going to take his son to the Mount of Sacrifice, but this time there will be no substitution. This time he is going to sacrifice his son for your sake and for mine. The echo of Abraham saddling his donkey is pointing forward to Jesus riding in on a donkey. You see, because donkeys tell us more Then we know when King David, who was the most beloved king in all of Israel's history, you could find his storyline of his life in first Kings and second Samuel, first Chronicles. uh, And and he is an elderly man at uh, the end of his life. And his son, Adonijah, has decided that he wants to throw his own coronation Uh, for him to become the king of Israel. King David has already promised that his son Solomon, and through the promise of God, is supposed to 
uh, have his lineage go through that of Solomon, he is going to be the one through whom uh, he has an everlasting kingdom through Solomon and not through his son, Adonijah. And so Adonijah decides that he wants to become the king of Israel. His father is elderly and sick. And so he makes a pact with one of the military leaders and one of the religious leaders, and they decide that they're going to do a private coronation. And so uh, once Uh, David catches wind that his son Adonijah is trying to usurp his authority and become the king of Israel. He decides he's going to take his son and put him on his royal mule. Uh, he's, He's going to take his son and put him on his royal donkey. And, and as he puts his son Solomon on his royal donkey and parades him through Jerusalem from Uh, the Gihon Spring across to the Kidron Valley, people began to celebrate with uh, adulation and, uh, and, and they begin to praise Solomon and celebrate Solomon. And at the end of him riding through Jerusalem on that donkey, it signified to the watching world and the people of Israel that Adonijah was not the true king. The true king was the one who came riding into Jerusalem on the royal donkey. You see, because donkeys tell us more than we know. The prophet Zechariah would tell of a future king who would be a king of peace. And he says in Zechariah 9 uh, and verse Verse 10, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow shall be cut off and he shall speak peace to the nation. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Notice this king is going to be the king prophesied uh, hundreds of years prior who is going to do away with the war horse and the battle bow. He's going to be a king who brings peace. Zechariah 9 and verse 9 says this king is going to be like this. He says, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a what? Riding on a donkey, on a colt, a foal of a donkey. The king of peace comes riding into Jerusalem on a donkey because donkeys tell us more than we know. In Genesis 49, Jacob gathers his sons together, and just for the sake of context, Abraham is the one who received the promise from God that he would have a son through whom the entire world would be blessed, and he has a son named Isaac. Isaac has a son named Jacob, and Jacob has 12 sons, and they make up the 12 tribes of Israel, and one particular son is a son by the name of Judah, and Judah is what makes up the lineage of the tribe of Judah. So he says at the end of his life, 
speaking back over his son's lives and pointing forward in Genesis 49 and verse 10 and 11. The scepter shall not depart from Judah nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples binding his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt. There it is to the choice vine. He has washed his garments in wine and his vestures in the blood of grapes. King David comes from the lineage of Judah. God makes the promise to King David that his kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom. Jesus's lineage goes back to King David, whose lineage goes back to Judah. And Jacob says, through Judah is coming someone who binds his donkey colt to the choice vine and washed his garments in the blood of grapes. I think you see where I'm going with this. I'm trying to tell somebody that donkeys tell us more than we know. And, and, and here's the picture as, 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 as all of this is in a pointing forward to and all of scripture is pointing Forward to this moment in history, the great anticipation of the king of peace who is going to ride in on a donkey colt. All of scripture pointing to this moment where Jesus walks in to Jerusalem riding a donkey colt. You see, it is the most anticipated and most important arrival in all of human history. But look back with me at Mark chapter 11 and verse 8. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So people are are pumped to see Jesus. They're they're laying down their branches in front of him. They're, They're laying down their cloaks in front of him, and they're shouting out, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. They're literally saying, Hosanna, save I pray, save I pray. Verse 10 of chapter 11, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest, the Messiah or the Christ uh, who the Jewish people had been anticipating uh, of was to come through the line of David, as we've been saying, who was the greatest king Israel had ever had, and now a truer and a better King David, a truer and a better King Solomon was coming in riding on a donkey colt. And Luke's gospel, interestingly enough, as we move into the second portion of our message from uh, donkeys tell us more than we know into praise is coming one way or the other. Luke's gospel in recording this story of Jesus's triumphal entry uh, records that that there, there are people there who have seen Jesus do incredible things. Luke 19 in verse 37 says, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. Every time before this particular uh, experience, Jesus, every time Jesus performed a miracle, he would tell people, be quiet about that. Keep, keep that. keep that to yourself. And yet in this moment, he says, no, y'all go ahead. Y- y'all go ahead and praise and shout and sing and celebrate. 
And, and, and Luke's account of the story says there were some religious leaders who tell Jesus to correct his disciples uh, and, and, and to, to kind of set them straight. These religious leaders are, are, are bothered by the fact that Jesus is accepting and receiving worship. Uh, and, 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 and the religious leaders are saying they're, they're worshiping you. you. You know that that's not right. You know that receiving worship is something only God is supposed to receive. But what does Jesus do in response? He says in Luke 19 in verse 40, I tell you to these religious leaders, if these people were silent, the very stones would cry out. If these people did not open up their mouths and shout and sing with exuberance and adulation, the very earth would cry out. Jesus, who has declared, uh, who, who has deflected worship in the past, now fully embraces it. And the question that we have to ask ourselves is why? And the answer is because he has the authority to receive it. Uh, it's, it's because everything that has come before Jesus entered into Jerusalem was leading and pointing toward Jesus uh, entering into arriving to Jerusalem. It's because his arrival is the climax of all of human history. The stones will cry out because Jesus made the stones. The earth will cry out because Jesus made the earth for the scripture says that without him nothing was made that was made, for he is the one who upholds the universe by the word of his power. Hebrews chapter 1, if the people don't praise him, something is going to shout for by him and through him and for him are all things. Romans chapter 11, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities all things have been created through him and for him he is before all things and in him all things hold together and some of y'all missed your shout you 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 missed your shout be, be, because it's the week before Easter Sunday, but, but you said, Steve, we're in the middle of a pandemic. People are sick. My mental health is bad. So you missed your shout right there. So let me see if I can rewind the tape. The author of creation, the one who spoke the world into existence, left glory, stepped into humanity, lived perfectly rode his donkey into Jerusalem, signifying himself as the truer and better king of the universe. He came for you. That king, he came for you. He came for me. You see, regardless of whatever we may find ourselves going through in this season of life, the one who everybody had anticipated, the one who holds the universe together, he came for us.
He came to reconcile what had been lost between us and God. He identifies with our suffering in the midst of all of what we're experiencing in this pandemic. But not only that, his suffering ensures that he's always with us in our own. Jesus says, if they don't praise me, if they don't shout in adulation, the very earth will grow lungs and cry out in praise of me. If they don't shout and sing, the ground will sing a chorus. If they don't shout and sing, something is going to sing and cry out. Creation will shout, the Messiah is entering into Jerusalem. Because Jesus' arrival is the most anticipated and the most significant arrival in all of human history. So Jesus goes into Jerusalem being ushered in with shouts and praise and in adoration as we've looked at the, uh, what donkeys can tell us. And we've, we've looked at uh, Jesus uh, and his arrival into Jerusalem and uh, and and we we we've seen that there uh, that 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 if uh, if 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 they don't shout, then something is going to shout. There's going to be praise one way or the other. And as we move into the third portion of our message, uh, and round third, and head for home, uh, there's great anticipation, but no homecoming party. No homecoming party. So Jesus goes into Jerusalem being ushered in with shouts of praise and adoration. Uh, and in an interesting shift in the progression of the passage, uh, Mark points, a, uh, points uh, a very anticlimactic shift in verse 11. Uh, it says, and he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. So he arrives in the city, and there's no more celebration, no more shouts of praise and adoration. The way Mark articulates it, Jesus, who is the centerpiece of the people of God's faith, goes into the centerpiece of the people of God's worship in the temple, and nothing really happens. There's uh, there's no feast for the king's return. There's no trumpets, no music, no celebration, uh, no, uh, no, uh, no uh, flower people that throw roses on the ground like King Jaffe Jaffer, the, the, the king who they had been waiting for for so long. This king who was anticipated, the king who the prophets had spoken of, this king who was the one who Abraham and Isaac's story echoed forward to, this king who was going to restore and renew all things. They did a lot to get ready for the party, and there was no party, no celebration for the one who receives worship. As a matter of fact, the rest of Jesus' life after the triumphant entry, triumphal entry is going to be characterized by rejection and hate. It's, it's as though the people of God had spent all this time getting ready for the party and never actually went to the party. Y'all remember when we used to go to parties? Pre-pandemic. I was thinking back this earlier this week of my friend Ricky's 40th birthday party, and there was a bunch uh, of uh, stuff that went into it, and uh, and the venue was dope. The the uh, they, they were in a uh, kind of a, a flower shop, 
um, and, and, and they had all the flowers spread out, uh, and it was like a garden slash flower shop, and they had, uh, they had food, and they had drinks, and they had, uh, they had a, a really incredible DJ. Shout out to DJ Ron, a.k.a. DJ One Sec. And, uh, and, and so they had all of this stuff together, and it was off the chain. And a great amount of anticipation went in. People flew in uh, for this party. And, and it made me think, it reminded me of all the stuff that you uh, got together to get ready for something like the prom or one of your first dances. Y'all remember the prom? I, I remember when I was getting ready for the prom, we had to make sure that the ride that we was getting into was nice. And so we rented a limousine and and I was one of those people that didn't want to look like everybody else. And so, uh, you know, everybody's wearing purple or everybody's wearing powder blue. And so I said, you know what? I'm going to wear periwinkle. And y'all don't even know what that is. That was the entire point. And so uh, I didn't want to be in a regular tuxedo. So I went and got the zoot suit tuxedo. And, you know, they, they always try to give you those like round toe patent leather shoes. And I was like, nah, I'm not, I'm not feeling that. I'm, I'm going to do something different. And so I got some all-white uh, crocodile print uh, shoes with, with wooden soles. And so I was just fresh. And I even stepped into the barbershop, and I, I told my barber, I said, man, this, this can't just be any old thing. This is special. Today I need you to do something special. I, I can't just get a regular light fade. This is back when I had the finger waves and all of that. And, and, uh, and so I said, man, give me the taper fade. And so he gave me the coldest haircut that I had ever gotten. And, and, and you know, ladies, you, you know, you went out and you got your nails done and you got your hair uh, on, on point and you got all your stuff together. You, uh, you got your mints together because you never knew when you was going to get you a kiss and you wanted to be prepared on prom for your kiss. And so you prepared for everything that, 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 uh, that it would be an incredible time, right? And so you got all your stuff together and you're uh, in great anticipation of, of all of what this is about to be and look like. Now imagine you've done all of those different things over the course of the past several weeks and you roll up in the limousine and you walk into prom and nobody's there. There's no party. There's no celebration. There's no praise. There's no cake. There's no music. It's just empty. The whole history of the people of Israel's worldview was pointing to this moment. And they didn't throw the party. And, and while you and I may look our noses down like, why, why didn't they celebrate that? Why, how, how in the world did they miss Jesus in that moment? Like, like what in the world uh, w- were they doing? They, 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 they forgot to celebrate. Why? Why? Uh, why didn't you guys throw a party for your king? And, and, and here's the reality. The beauty of the gospel is that the deepest longings of our hearts has arrived in Jesus. And the sad thing about the gospel of Jesus is that you and I often forget to throw our own party.
All the while we say, Jesus, all right, I got Jesus, man, cool. That, that, I, you know, we, we sort of look our noses down at the people of Israel, and then in our own lives, we like, all right, I got Jesus, Jesus is cool. Now, Jesus, come with me to this other celebration. Jesus, we're trying to get this promotion. Jesus, we're trying, we trying to get this new job. Jesus, we're trying to move to this new city. Jesus, we, we, I, I, I want to find me a man. Jesus, I want to find, find my wife. Jesus, Jesus, come over to this new, come over to this new party. To the new house, to the new thing. And all of those are good things. And yet, if you're crushed by not receiving those things, you missed it. You miss the celebration. We want Jesus to take us to all types of other celebrations where we say, like, hey, let, let's go do this and let's go do that. God, would you bless this and would you bless that? Saying all of the deepest desires of our hearts are these other things and this other thing and that other experience. And we get disappointed when he doesn't give us those things. And the whole time Jesus is standing here saying, I am the celebration. It's not when you get over there. It's not when you do that. It's right here, right now. You see, it's not when you get your breakthrough. It's not when you Make partner. It's not when you make that certain amount of money. The celebration is now. And Jesus is saying, the deepest longings of your soul have been met in me because I arrived. So before you move on to the next thing, let's throw the party. And the beauty of the gospel storyline is that the party never has to end. Because the reality is the deepest longing of our soul has been met in him. So every day gets to be a new celebration. Mercies are new every morning. You see, it's because Jesus died in our place and for our sins that we have access to the God of the universe. We no longer have to live from celebration to celebration, but we can remain in the celebration of the gospel for all of our days. It's, it's because Jesus rose in victory over Satan's sin and death that I don't have to leave my celebration on Sunday morning, but I get to celebrate the good news of Jesus every single day of my life. It's because Jesus defeated Satan's sin and death that my faith doesn't have to be uh, kind of this reflective contemplation and personal thing, but it can be a lasting, continual, continuous celebration. You see, the same king who came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many, and who rode into Jerusalem on a lowly donkey colt is the same king who Revelation calls the Lion of the tribe of Judah, who was slain for you and me.
So let's celebrate today. Let's celebrate next week. Let's celebrate tomorrow and for the rest of our lives. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for Jesus. We know that all of Scripture is pointing to him. The temple, the tabernacle, the sacrificial system, the promise to Abraham, the promise to David, the promise to the people of Israel. And now, God, we get on the other side of that promise. And please, God, don't allow us to miss the party. Please allow us the freedom to celebrate, to abide in Christ, to experience the love of the Father. Because the God of the universe sent his only son to be a substitutionary atonement for us so that we could experience you and to experience the one who created all things. You are the good father who gives good gifts to his children, who steps into the suffering to be with us in the midst of what we experience in this world. You're the one who will never leave us nor forsake us. You are the burden bearer, the head lifter, the doctor who's never lost a patient, the lawyer who's never lost a case. You are the one who sticks closer than a brother. We thank you for Jesus. It's in his name I pray. Amen. Thanks again for tuning into our podcast today. I pray that it was a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. I look to see you at one of our services at 930 or 11 a.m. on Sunday morning. Take care. God bless you.